I love the words of that um, song that we've just sung. I, I hope that one of those ones we can pick up and add to our, our Christmas repertoire. I'm going to read the word of God just now, and we're reading from the Gospel of Luke, from the beginning, from verse 5, chapter 1 of verse 5. Last year, we were giving out Bibles. Last year, I had some of these. Um, was it last year? Was it two years ago now? We had these books which we gave to folk um, to encourage you to read the Bible. Uh, it's Dear Theo, and it's the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts that Luke also wrote. I've got plenty of these left over, and there's some at the back. So if anyone didn't get one uh, and would like one, or you've got someone you'd like to give one to, please pick them up and take them. There's only one condition. Take them to be read. Don't take them to put on a shelf. But that they are there if, if you would like one at this time, just to take God's word out. But let's read from the Gospel of Luke. Luke 1, reading from verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time came for the burning of the incense, all assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. 
Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we ask just now that as we meditate on this from your eternal word, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that we might know your truth. Amen. I, uh, it might be because I'm a pyromaniac, but I like candles. Do you like candles? Some churches are a bit funny about them. They, they, they don't think they're very Protestant. And I always, my response to that when someone said that to me one time was, what do you think John Knox used to light his church? Electric lights? But if you think that's a little bit different and a little bit away from our tradition, watch what I'm going to do next because there's something else I love to do at this time of year. And that is uh, to get out a stick of incense. It's a pyromaniac in me again. You know, this is, this, is, this is lovely. And before you think this isn't really what Protestants should be doing or what the Church of Scotland should be doing, it's biblical. We've just read a passage of the Bible with incense in it, which is referencing the Old Testament where the priests burn incense. And by the way, even better, that one quite caught, this is frankincense. Remember? The Bible as well, isn't it? What the wise men brought. And the thing about incense is, I guess the symbolism of it is that it's a wonderful smell. And since worship is something that we listen to and we speak and we taste as we have bread and wine, why shouldn't it also be something that smells? I'm sorry if that's going to go for some folks' throat. Hope not. I'll stick it in there. I can. I set the place on fire. But I guess in the Old Testament, one of the things incense is, in, in many religious traditions as well, is it's a symbol of prayer. The idea is that you're sending something that is going from you up to God. That's why priests burnt it in the temple, that it's pleasing to God, the prayers of his people. Now, it's a symbol, so if we don't actually pray, then it's just a symbol. But if it symbolizes our heartfelt, pleasing prayers to God, then it's it's important. Zechariah was a priest. Now that's not like we think of priests today. In ancient Israel, there were in Jerusalem a whole lot of people who were priests. It wasn't their full-time job for most of them. In fact, we reckon that there were probably in, in, in Jerusalem as many as 8,000 priests. It was something you were because you were of the tribe of Levi and you were hereditarily a priest. In fact, there have been so many priests that in David's time, 
They divided them into 24 divisions to serve in the temple, which meant roughly you were on duty two weeks a year, serving in the temple courts. And only on one of those priests each day would be chosen to light the incense, essentially to lead the worship that day. And they chose them by lot. And that day the lot had fallen on Zechariah. It was for him perhaps a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He was going to lead worship that day, a special day, a big day, an important day. And as Zechariah went up to lead the worship in the house of God that day, there would have been behind him a great sense of the tradition of Israel, all that it symbolized. His order of priests, Abijah, it was called, it went right back to David, who had organized them. And in fact, as he thought about his wife, who was from from, from the priestly tribe as well, they could think right back, their descendant, all the way back to Moses' brother Aaron, who'd been the first of the priestly order of Levites. It was Aaron who had started the worship. There wasn't a temple then, it was just a tent, but they'd been burning the incense and saying the prayers at the altar of the Lord since then. And then in David's time, his son Solomon had built the temple that they were now in. A sign that God was to be among the people. Not just worship, but present, approachable. They could come into the presence of the living God. It was a symbol that the people were his. And they had this relationship with him. So Zechariah went into the temple that day and prayed. He would have been praying that God would keep his promises. His ancient promises to Israel that they would be his. His ancient promises to his people that he would keep them. His ancient promises to the house of David that there would be a king forever on the line and throne of David. The problem with that prayer was there hadn't been a king on the throne of David for 400 years. And now what they had was this rotten usurper, Herod, a godless brutal thug that represented the power of Rome that oppressed them. Oppression, injustice, invasion, everything that could be wrong seemed to be wrong in the land at that time. But so Zechariah and the priests kept praying. And we're told as Zechariah went into the temple, it says in verse 10, the people were praying outside. What were they praying? Well, actually, we sort of know what they were praying. Because in the next chapter, we're told about two of the folk that were in the temple precincts all the time. And we're told about what they were praying. Their names were Simeon and Anna. And they were to meet Mary and Joseph a year later after Jesus had been born in that same place. We're told that they were righteous waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's what Simeon was praying for, the consolation of Israel. It's a complicated expression, but what it really meant was Israel's broken heart would be healed because God would turn up and keep his promises. He was praying and waiting, and he knew when he saw Jesus that those prayers had been answered. And then there was Anna. She was 84, which in those days was a great age. She'd been a widow since she was in her 20s. And there she was praying every day, fasting, 
And we're told by Luke, she was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She was looking for the world to change. She was looking for God to keep his promises. She was looking for God's people's hearts to turn back to him in true worship. What we've got here is one of the great themes of Advent. Waiting. Longing. Wanting promises that have been made by God to be fulfilled. And wanting them so badly. Yearning for them so badly that it hurts. That's what Advent is all about. Wanting justice in our world. Wanting redemption. People to be set free for God. And they all looked so hopeless. All they had was crooked priests and bad kings and Roman taxes. But they kept waiting and praying and yearning and on and on and on. But of course... That wasn't the only story. That's the big story. But there was also a little story. A very personal story. Zechariah and Elizabeth were good people. Righteous people. They'd kept all God's commandments. They'd done everything right. They prayed regularly. But in their own family was a heartbreak. They had no children. It's a little story caught up in a big story. It's interesting that Luke does this. In one sense, as we read this passage, it connects with all the Old Testament promises. This is a story about kings and temples and messiahs and Israel and emperors and armies and God's big plan for salvation. It's been worked out from Alpha to Omega to beginning to end, bringing his son into the world that was promised from the start. But there's also just the sadness of a couple struggling with life. And that sadness of, of childlessness, I, I, I don't want to move on from it lightly because there's some folk here that will have known that. And there's some folk here that will know people, perhaps in their own families, who know that pain. But it's perhaps here symbolic of the sadnesses and the brokennesses that every family knows. The relative that's unwell, the bereavement, the frustration, the failed relationships, the scars of personal disappointments, the griefs. We all know those stories, don't we? We all know those pains. And I love how the scripture lifts the little stories into the big story. You know, John's gospel has these huge big themes at the beginning of it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word 